This is Living While Dying, an ALS story from Minnesota Public Radio News. I'm Kathy Worzer. Over the four years and three months Bruce Kramer lived his life with a disease that ultimately killed him, he kept careful track of the public debates over health care, especially end-of-life care. In the summer of 2011, when Bruce was still getting around using a cane, another person, noted writer Dudley Clendenin of the New York Times, wrote about his own ALS diagnosis. Diagnosed one month before Bruce was, Dudley Clendenin had an especially aggressive form of ALS. In a June 2011 article in the Times, Clendenin wrote about how he planned to kill himself before he became too physically incapacitated to do so. He wrote at the time that he didn't want to become a, quote, conscious but motionless, mute, withered, incontinent mummy of my former self. A few days later, David Brooks picked up on Clendenin's article, praising the ailing author for the way Clendenin defined life and how it could open a discussion about death and dying and end-of-life costs. Brooks wrote about the public's, quote, willingness to spend our nation into bankruptcy to extend life for a few more sickly months. Both articles angered Bruce. Basically, his point of view was that chronic disease management costs way too much and we really need to say when we won't. And and that directly affects me. And um, actually, it directly affects him. He just doesn't know it yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to have someone proudly proclaim suicide as a logical conclusion, and I have no problem with it, frankly. I mean, I, I reserve the right to stop treatment. But I also think that it's a really easy thing for an able-bodied person to pick up and say, well, that sounds really logical. And um, that has real implications. Well, he supported Clendenin's choice to kill himself, which, by the way, did not happen. Dudley Clendenin died in May of 2012 of ALS in a hospice. Bruce Kramer was angry that the well-known journalist would play to an audience Bruce called tabs, temporarily able-bodied people, healthy people who had no physical problems, who might say, of course, why would you want to live with a chronic, expensive, debilitating disease? But as Bruce said, you don't know what the choices are until you face them yourself. Bruce Kramer chose to live with ALS until its preordained conclusion, participating in drug trials and raising money for a potential cure. But he figured if something could help him live with the disease a little more comfortably, why not try it? That's what led to his decision in November of 2013 to have an experimental device implanted in his abdomen. The procedure came at a good time for Bruce. That fall, his outlook grew bleak. He didn't write many entries in his blog, The Disease Diary. One afternoon on a dreary, cold Minnesota day, with snow flurries flying outside along with fallen leaves, a sad-eyed Bruce, wrapped in a blanket, told me he thought his time was coming to an end, and he was preparing for his funeral. Would I give his eulogy? It was a tear-filled conversation. He seemed exhausted. His breathing was becoming more shallow. He spoke almost in a whisper. His limbs were useless except for tiny movements of his wrist and thumbs. He had been researching the use of a DPS, a diaphragmatic pacing system, like a pacemaker for his diaphragm, after the last drug trial had ended. I've talked with a number of people with ALS who have had the DPS put in all over the country, and to a person, they have felt that it has improved their quality of life. So 
when it looked like the uh, things that needed to come together were going to come together, I had to make a decision quickly and um, decided to do it. And on November 14th, 2013, Bruce Kramer became one of a group of Americans with ALS and a handful of Minnesotans to use a DPS to help support their breathing. It's done laparoscopically. Uh, There are five incisions in the belly, and you end up with a set of electrical leads that are coming out of your belly. It sounds almost uh, like a a Frankenstein kind of moment. Yeah, I'm your bionic ALS guy. Well, when this thing is operable, do you feel anything? Oh, my. Yes, I do. You know, it's an electrical shock that's being delivered. The power supply is outside of the body, and the electrical shock actually contracts the diaphragm. So I feel the electrical shock all the way around. There are four electrodes in my diaphragm, um, one front, two on the side, one back. And I feel that shock, but then I feel the diaphragm contract. And if you are at all aware of a diaphragmatic contraction, it makes you want to haul in air. Is it hard to talk around the device? Yeah, I have it off right now because um, it fires every five seconds. And when it fires, you know, your diaphragm contracts. And when your diaphragm contracts, it's kind of like, so you kind of sound funny when you're trying to talk around it. But I'm learning how to. How do you feel? Better. Uh, That's the amazing thing to me. It was almost immediate. From the time they turned it on, I could kind of feel my um, brain pinking up. I I felt like I was getting oxygen again. And um, I've been feeling pretty tired. I've been feeling like my voice has been really going, I really, really soft. And now I actually can get some diaphragm underneath my voice. Um, so I'm feeling better. You know, I, I want to emphasize this is not a cure, and we're not even sure if it lengthens life. But quality of life is, is what I'm looking for. And so far, so good. Do you see this as another tool to help other people with ALS live better lives? Absolutely. What I see is that technology has a lot more to offer us in ALS right now than drug therapy. And it's through technology that we're able to kind of work around these physical challenges that we're presented with. This is a piece of technology. It aids the breathing. Breathing is one of the things that Um, goes. And so I see this as being something that could become a a treatment of choice for ALS, uh, particularly if they can get good data on people like myself. The device has been used successfully with people with spinal cord injuries. And as of September of 2011, the FDA approved the use of the diaphragmatic pacing system for ALS patients as a way to help them breathe longer without the aid of a ventilator. One of the major complications of ALS is respiratory failure. Dr. Jeffrey Stroman is the Mayo Clinic physician who's overseeing Bruce Kramer's use of the DPS. He explains how the device could help Kramer's breathing. The disease process is affecting the nerves, so the diaphragm's getting weaker. 
Um, just like with any other muscle in our body, if we exercise our muscle, the thought is that we can increase the strength of that muscle. Or, in a case like his, we can reduce the rate of decline of that muscle by strengthening it. So the thought is, by stimulating the diaphragm, we're actually conditioning it better so it doesn't lose its strength as quickly as it otherwise would. So there's a big difference between the treatment of spinal cord injury and ALS. And that's what Bruce was saying. He knows that this is not a process that's going to cure him. But it is a process, what we heard today too, where the quality of life is significantly improved because he feels better, he feels more energetic, he feels stronger. And we do have some evidence, albeit limited, that this may actually prolong survival. How long do you think? Potentially up to 20 months is what the initial, 20 months longer than you would if you didn't have the stimulator. Okay. So I just went to 15 on mm-hmm. each channel, and the pulse width is the same. Dr. Strumman and a colleague start recalibrating the DPS to give Bruce Kramer's diaphragm a stronger jolt. Okay. Ready? Ready. Okay, lay them up. Not all ALS patients are candidates for such okay. a device. If the disease has weakened the diaphragm too much, there's little benefit. You felt that one. I really did. I could really yeah. feel that in the shoulder. And given the tests performed post-implantation, the device seems to be working well, and Kramer's breathing is significantly stronger. Everyone in the examination room seems pleased, especially Bruce. Back at home, he's clearly tired after the long ride. Riding in um, the van just beats me up. But I think the progress that I've made, the fact that I was able to up the uh, amperage is a good thing. And so I feel pretty good. This clearly is positive news, but sadly, the disease marches on. So how do you balance that, this tiny bit of hope with the disease progression? I'm, I'm so used to getting up every morning and realizing that I feel a little worse than I did the day before. And the day after I started the DPS, I got up and felt better. And it, I mean, it, it just threw me for a loop. I, th- I thought, wait a minute, you know, you can't feel better because you have ALS and you're going to feel worse. And I feel like I have the perseverance again to, to hang with this a little longer. And so then the question is, well, does that make you feel hopeful? And it's a place I mustn't go. I, I think I need to remain hopeless. There is a difference between hope and possibility. And possibility is about the, it, it's, it's rational. It's about the, the things that you can grasp, concretely grasp, that make your life uh, meaningful and worthwhile and better. So my body continues to get worse. There is no question. But there is possibility in the DPS in that with this worsening of ALS, I still have some energy. And I still wake up feeling, I'm still here. I'm okay. And, and I can do this. And that's not really hopeful. I, you know, I'm not holding out for a cure. It isn't going to happen in my lifetime, I'm pretty sure. But I am hopeless in the possibility. After that conversation aired in mid-December of 2013, shortly after the third-year anniversary of his diagnosis, 
A radio listener wrote to ask whether Bruce Kramer was denying his inevitable death by using such a device. Bruce begged to differ. He explained his rationale in this conversation from January 13, 2014. I am not in denial that I'm dying. I am dying. My breathing is better. But the fact is, is that the ALS progresses. There's nothing I can do about that. And I know that. But I feel better. And so in a way, what this is, is it's more of a palliative than a curative. You know, we could say the same thing about insulin. Uh, We could say the same thing about getting knee surgery. You know, why are you getting knee surgery? Your knees are going to go anyway. So why not? Just let them go. When you have said in the past that you accept your fate, yet you had the diaphragmatic pacing system installed to help your breathing a little better, for some listeners that may seem to be a contradiction, but that's not really how you see it. I don't see it as a contradiction at all. What I see it as is a treatment that's available to me. It's a treatment that results in a higher quality of life. It's worth the effort. It's reasonable effort to do it. And um, I think that's probably a good metric to use for measuring any treatment. Kramer says there are a couple of reasons he decided to take the opportunity to have the DPS installed. With ALS, the muscles of the body weaken and eventually no longer work. That often includes the muscles used to breathe. Right now, the DPS is helping Kramer's breathing, and it's putting off the time when he'll need additional breathing support. The breathing support that's available to me at this point is what's known as BiPAP. And BiPAP, it's a passive system. It's not invasive. But BiPAP requires that you put a mask over your face, and it's really putting the air down your throat. We then talked about whether the drug trials he's been in are also a way of denying the inevitable. And let's be clear here. I want to make sure that no one misunderstands my primary motivation with drug trials. It's not for me. I know it's not for me. The population with ALS is so small that for those of us who have the ability or who are in the right time frame with ALS to be able to participate, if we don't, Who's going to? And so I feel a bit of a responsibility there. The DPS is along those lines. The DPS is the first thing that we've had in a long time. Remember, we've only got one drug. It's the first thing that we've had in a long time where we think this actually could help a person feel better. Do you think it's worth it in the end? And I ask this because you have a friend in ALS. Stu is his name. He also blogs. And he wrote this, asking the question, and I'm going to paraphrase it, at what point does all this effort and pain of living with a modicum of dignity outweigh the value of the love you're able to give and receive from your friends and family? What's your response to that? That's the life question. That's not an ALS question. At what point do we ask ourselves, is what it requires for me to remain in this life worth the energy that I'm expending? And I think for most of us, it's hard for us to even imagine asking that question. The difference with ALS is that ALS puts that question front and center 
But Kramer says the question could also be asked by others struggling with a terminal illness if they feel alone in their plight. The fact is that what really makes this life worthwhile is that you have some shared engagement in some way, shape, or form. And that's the part that breaks my heart with my brothers and sisters. When they feel that they are all alone, when the only choice they have is to be placed in a nursing facility and there's no one who really knows them, uh, no one who subjectively gets them. They are only objects of care. You're something to have your clothing changed, to be showered, to be fed. You are not that person that has this rich and complex interaction with the world and a history. That, I think, is probably the key to whether or not this is worth it. Does the equation, Bruce, change in any way if you lose your voice? That's a good question. And I don't know the answer to that until I'm there. You could ask the question when you can't eat through your mouth. All of these things are what I've called in the past the paper cuts. And eventually, there's one too many. And at that point, I'll be honest about it. I'm done. I I just don't have the energy. But right now, I do. When you say you get to, I want to press a little bit further on this. When you say when you get to the point, whatever that is for you, and you feel like you're done, you're done, what does that mean? Will you let nature take its course? Is there some other thing you're thinking about? (laughs) We do not live in Oregon. And so I'm really not interested in assisted suicide. Will I let nature take its course? Actually, it's not a question of letting it. Nature is taking its course. And so there are things that can be done. If I decided to go with no breathing support, eventually the CO2 buildup would kill me. So it's just a matter of time. Just before we finished our conversation about his decision to have the device installed in his diaphragm, Kramer said this. Right now... I feel like it's worth it. I have this family that they just get me. I have friends that really get me. But I also feel like I get them. I can still be a part of their lives that I'm helpful. I'm what a friend is. If we put more energy into that and less energy into the kinds of things that we keep uh, mistaking for success, it seems to me that this would be a far better world. And we wouldn't be asking questions about, isn't he just denying death? Who cares? What really is important is, are you denying life? And life is about sharing with others. On the next Living While Dying, an ALS story, Bruce continues in his role as teacher preaching a memorable sermon at his local church.